Hello, ladies, and welcome back to the feminine domain. Um, I am Rebecca Klusterman, and this is episode five of the podcast. Um, thanks for joining me today. Um, this week, I wanted to talk for a few minutes on the topic of the sin of self pity. And let me tell you, ladies, from the minute I planned to tackle this subject on the podcast, it felt like I was immediately inundated with every possible situation and circumstance that would tempt me to give in to self-pity. I'm ashamed to say that so often over this past week, I have failed in this area, allowing self-pity to raise its ugly head in my life. And I say this at the outset of today's episode to let you know that I'm speaking to you as work in progress here, Um, a fellow Christian sister seeking to identify sin in my own life and put it to death. So that being said, what even is self-pity anyway? Well, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as pity for oneself, especially a self-indulgent dwelling on one's own sorrows or misfortunes. So we can see that even in this non-Christian definition, there is a negative view of self-pity that's put forward. We don't often hear this term, self-pity, used in a positive light. And if it were said of one of us, that woman, she is such a self-pitying person, I doubt that we would consider it a compliment. However, I do think that we often fail to take this negative view of self-pity when it raises its head in our everyday lives. So I'm going to give some examples of self-pitying thoughts here so that we can better identify and stamp this out while it's in seed or bud form before it snowballs out of control and causes a whole host of other problems and sin. We need to be aware of the soundtrack that is playing in our minds, those thoughts that we are stewing on ruminating on over and over. So here are some examples. This is just too much. No one sees how much I'm doing. Or, I feel so misunderstood. Why does no one get me? Nobody understands. Or, I have it so much harder than so-and-so. My life is so hard. Or, In relation to conflict with other people, the thoughts may sound something like this. This thing is something that he has to apologize for. I deserve that. Or, that is a point that I really must have cleared up if I'm going to have any peace at all. Doesn't he know how this affects me? This is not an exhaustive list, okay? But just a few examples of self-pitying thoughts And these kinds of thoughts are often accompanied by sulking, whining, either internally or externally, pouting, general sullenness, comparing ourselves to others, complaining, anger, feeling hard done by, or just an overall woe is me, poor me attitude. We have to take thoughts like these captive ladies and bring them into submission to Christ. It says that in 2 Corinthians 10.5 about taking every thought captive and bringing it into submission. But here someone might say, well, who says self-pity is so wrong? 
why do we need to stop those kinds of thoughts? There's no verse in the Bible that explicitly talks about self-pity. And in fact, they'd be right. However, according to Abigail Dodds, while the word self-pity is not found in the Bible, God's word has plenty to tell us about self-pity. There's a sense in which the entire story of the Bible exists to wake us up from the stupor of deadly self-pity and cause us to receive the only pity powerful enough to save us, the pity of God. Jesus manifests God's pity for sinners. Mark 1.41 Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. This pity that we see in Christ finds its pinnacle at the cross. At its root, the sin and self-pity is that we assess ourselves and our circumstances as though God is not a gracious father. When we take God out of the picture, when his pity for us in the death and resurrection of his beloved son with the continued help of his spirit is not enough, we turn to ourselves for love and pity. John Bloom puts it this way. He says, and I quote, that was a quote from Abigail Dodds, by the way, and I'm going to link to all of these somewhere so you ladies can read these, but um, this is John Bloom speaking about self-pity. Self-pity is our sinful, selfish response to something not going the way we think it should. And it is a subtle sin. We often don't recognize it right away because it it wears the disguise of righteous indignation. We feel justified to indulge it after the injustice we've suffered, even if all that has happened is that we didn't get our way. But self-pity is a dangerous, deceitful, hard-hardening sin. It is a spiritual deadener, choking faith, draining hope, killing joy, smothering love, fueling anger, and robbing any desire to serve others. And it is a feeder sin encouraging us to comfort our poor selves with all manner of sinful indulgence. Self-pity poisons our relationships and is often an underlying cause of our burnout. Self-pity does us no good whatsoever, even if we have suffered a true injustice or bereavement or other evil. It is a closely clinging sin that only weighs us down like an anchor, so we must jettison it as soon as we recognize it. So this brings me to my first point in how we tackle and kill this sin of self-pity. Okay, so point number one, we need to recognize and renounce, meaning repent of, self-pitying thoughts. As soon as they crop up in our minds, we need to say a hard no. Nope, I'm not going to wallow in these poor me or if they only understood me thoughts. We need to see self-pity as a weight and as a sin that clings, burdens us, and entangles us, and we need to cast it off. Oswald Chambers once said this, If you have the wine in you, kick it out ruthlessly. It is a positive crime to be weak in God's strength. And this ties in with last last week's episode on death to the flesh. Because of what Christ has done, ladies, we don't have to be enslaved to sin. We do not have to live our lives as weak, whiny women. Okay, We need to kick out the wine in us ruthlessly. 
we have God's strength. John Bloom also said, self-pity is not merely a struggle. And we talked about this last time too. So many times women say, oh, I'm struggling, when really it's delayed obedience, right? That's Elizabeth Elliot. Self-pity is not merely a struggle, says John Bloom. It is a sin to be killed and tossed away. Okay, and we need to approach it that way. This being said, it's important to note that the Christian life is not just about what we are against. Yes, we're against our sin. We're against evil. We're in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the Christian life is even more so about what we're for, who we're for, which is Christ. The Puritan Thomas Chalmers talks about the expulsive power of a new affection, okay? This is the idea that our affection and love for one thing, namely Christ, has the power to expel or drive out lesser loves. And so that's my second point here in our fight against self-pity. Point two, we need to come to Christ. We need our eyes on him. We need to draw near to him. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus has pity on you, dear sister. He sees the hard things that you're trying to face in faithfulness unto him. He knows your frame. He remembers that you are but dust. And he loves you. Underneath are the everlasting arms. And let that be enough. Let that enable us to say with the psalmist David in Psalm 141.8, My eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. As Abigail Dodds helpfully says, and I quote, Self-pitying people have not set the Lord before themselves as he really is, glorious, kind, sovereign, and just. It is only when we turn our eyes to Christ and through him behold the incomparable love of our Father that our self-pity will shrivel and die. When we taste and see the goodness of God in his Son and his Spirit, self-pity becomes a sorry substitute, worse, a mockery of the God who is love. We can trust our Father's compassion and pity. He knows our circumstances and sadnesses better than we do. So ladies, we need to be prepared to let God so grip us with his love and compassion and power that we are thoroughly changed. Our blind spots are revealed, our hearts are made new, and our minds are transformed. And so that leads to my third point in our battle against self-pity. We need to pray and ask God to give us the mind of Christ. Um, This week, my grade five, six class and I were memorizing Philippians chapter two. And there's a beautiful section there, verses one to 11. And it talks a lot about the mind. Um, It's Paul um, exhorting the Philippian church not to do things from selfish ambition. And right prior to that, he says, to be of the same mind, in full accord and of one mind, right? And then it goes down into verse five. So this is Philippians two, verse five. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is the kind of mind that we are called to have. Matthew twenty twenty eight talks about how the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we have this kind of mind, this mind that is willing to empty oneself, to serve others, to consider others more significant than ourselves, self-pity dies. So we need to pray that God would give us the mind of Christ in this battle against self-pity. And um, there's a really nice hymn that we actually sing at Court the Classical. It's called, May the Mind of Christ My Savior um, Live in Me from Day to Day By His Love and Power Controlling All I Do and Say. You should look that one up. I think the Norton Hall Band has a great version of that that you can listen to as a prayer. Sing it as a prayer to the Lord that He would give you the mind of Christ. And then lastly, point four in this battle against self-pity, we need to cultivate gratitude and contentment okay it is impossible to be sorry for yourself and thankful at the same time first thessalonians five eighteen says give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you and first timothy 6 verse 6 says godliness with contentment is great gain okay so cultivate gratitude and contentment These are enemies of self-pity that we can use um, to help us overcome this. So in conclusion, I'm just going to go over those four points again. In our battle with self-pity, we need to recognize and renounce self-pity. We need to come to Christ, point two, come to Christ, fix our eyes on him through the word, through the means of grace he's given, fellowship with the saints, prayer, singing. Point three, We need to pray to have the mind of Christ. And point four, we need to intentionally cultivate gratitude and contentment. So I'm going to close today with um, two quotes here by Elizabeth Elliot on this topic. She says, Self-pity is a death that has no resurrection, a sinkhole from which no rescuing hand can drag you because you have chosen to sink. Refuse self-pity. Refuse it absolutely. It is a deadly thing with power to destroy you. Turn your thoughts to Christ, who has already carried your griefs and your sorrows. Until next time, dear sisters, may we put our sin to death for the glory of Christ. 